I believe, you know, it doesn't matter how famous you are. I believe that you can't be the only hero in the game. So with, without my start, I, I won't be able to represent or present the thing in my head. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. At the heart of most food cultures is a sense of sharing, giving, and ensuring sustenance. To provide a communal feast, create connections, and a sense of safety and comfort too. For Terry Intarakumhang, his journey from monk to one of South Australia's best chefs is all centred around community, giving and sharing. Terry, how are you? Yeah, good, how are you? I'm good. Uh, you've become one of the best chefs in South Australia, but you've done so many extraordinary things. Were, were, were you always set to become a chef? No, chef is kind of like in my blood because that's where my family-based business. So, but I have been trying to run away from this job for so many times in the past 20 years. Well, take us back to your family and the influence. What, what was food like for you growing up? Um, food is the, 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 main, the main thing for the family to, to be united. To be to be able to sit around is a part of our culture. It's the it's a family gathering business as a kind of morning lunch and dinner. So when you have chance to sit and joining the meal, you have chance to get to um to know each other what they have been through during their day, or what's the plan. It's a kind of keep each other in the loop. Are there any sort of de- dishes or feasts that you can tell us about? Um, from from when you were young, and who was the sort of inspiration and cook in the family? My inspirations come from mom. Actually, I'll, I'll actually get into food by accident because I'm the youngest one in the family. I get forced to do things that no one else wants to do. It's quite different to other family where like the, the oldest supposed to get forced to do, but in Taiwan, I'll get forced to do what I don't want to do. So um, it started with the day that, you know, mum need to go to the market shopping every morning to get the best produce out of the farmer at the farmer market to bring home and cook for everyone for their lunchbox, for their breakfast, for their dinners. But um, the type of people actually eat three meals with the same food quite easily. So that, therefore, mum just go to do the big shopping in the morning about four o'clock and then just cook before the sunrise and it will be ready for the rest of the day. Is there any, are there any dishes um, or even any pork dishes that you remember from your youth that really stand out that, that, that um, you enjoyed quite a lot? Yeah, I've, um, I'm, I've, I come from northeast. Northeast is a bit more regional, it's more rural. So we, we often buy the whole pig or half of the pig so, um, and then we just, you know, cut it into portion, either smoke it, either, you know, keep it in the fridge or, you know, preparing some way. We, 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 we do all sort of things. But my most standing out of the uh, pork dish is pork lard, which is, which is a very fresh lemon, a very, you know, lemony. It's very, um, 
strong flavor. It's very spicy. And we use every part of pig to cook that dish, including organs, intestine, skin, and meat. And also, that's that's where all the famous lab. You know, if you li- if you go to this high restaurant, you might remember chicken lab. That's the most the most common on the menu in most of the uh, suburban Thai restaurant, or maybe even some of the Thai restaurant that try to do it right with the um, high quality produce. Um, is is actually what what the what the most simple would become the most. Um, complicate with that dish because you have to get the um the flavor profile right and also you have to get a texture right so you know if you overcook intestine if you overcook the organ then it just becomes sloppy um, lab in different iterations has appeared on time menus across the country but tell, tell us what it takes or how to make the pork lab from the region you're from yeah, so the the pork lab that made in my region is similar to the one that it made in Chiang Mai, where most of the people know what the pork lab look like. But a pork lab in my country countryside or my regions, we we, we mince, we slice and we mince the meat. We want it a little bit fatty. We want it a bit lean, mixed together to make it coarsely, and also make it a bit more juicy. So um, and also intestine and stuff, we just Blanching it, slide it to the to the to the dice to the size of the you know almost the same size as the the size of the mint mint leaf. So um, after that, we just mix it through, or we squeeze it out, which is what's the different. We squeeze, we we blanching it with lemon and also water and salt, and then we squeeze we squeeze the liquid out from the meat and separate the liquid and the meat and then we really cook the liquid liquid again and season the liquid before we put it back into the meat and then after the meat cool down a little bit we add the roasted rice powder which is we have to use a sticky rice tossing in the fry pan until it's turned golden brown and then we crush it with mortar and puzzle and then we actually add back with a fre- uh, with a, some fresh chili chili flake and um, lemon juice or lime juice, whatever is available, fish sauce, and with the herb of the uh, fresh mint, spring onion, shallots, and uh, serving with fresh, fresh, crunchy vegetable, like snake bean, cucumber, or lettuce on the side. You've done some extraordinarily different things in your career from studying environmental sustainability to um, being a one-time monk and um, and also working with a, with Australia's zoos as well. Take us through your career. It's been such an extraordinary journey. What sort of role did food play through those sort of um, vocations? It's an interesting journey because I finished my first degree in Thailand as an environmental environmental science and it's, there's, there's no such a thing as an environmental sector in Thailand because it's a very industrialized, it's, it's de- developing countries, it's all about capitalism. Um, to get a job as an envir- environmentalist is just very rare. So my first job is a tour guide as, as related as possible to environmental. You have to have a basic understanding of ecosystem. You have to have a basic understanding of how vegetation, how animals or, bio, you know, 
biology kind of side. So, um, yeah, I'll become a tour guide and then I will start to have, have a little bit of a picnic, a little bit of camping. So if you imagine that the way that how you go into the jungle for six or seven hours, it's one way that you can actually keep your food fresh. It's just try to find the food along the way. So that's what's become when is when the vegetation growing, when the thing go, growing, so when what ed, edible and what not. That's how the um how the draw cast uh environmental impact for me in terms of big being a environmentalist. But when you come to food, then you have to you you learn the cycle of the um the food uh the the food chain and also the um, the plant life. So you know what to be harvest and when to be harvest and how long the plant needs to be regenerated or you know when when you can actually consume it again without actually giving too much impact to the plants or the the cycle of the plants does that's a part of my that's a part of my environment environmental contribution as a part of what i study so um in terms of cooking so um we also working closely for with with the, the the producer such as you know Jason from Boston Bay, so he actually free range pork. He 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 raised pork as long as the pork need to uh, the pig need to be raised. So until it's, it's the right time to sell the pig because you don't want to sell under undersized pig. You don't want to sell you know the old pig that's get tough and uh, lose the quality of the meat, and that's kind of why. And also, you have to be matched with the um, the seasonal vegetation, seasonal vegetable, seasonal herb here in the market or the grower as well. Tell us about um, your life as as a monk and, and what you got out of that experience. So, the, the my experience is very extraordinary because you change your the, the life routine from um, being a fuller, fully human being enjoy life, enjoy a day, and also eat whatever you want as long as you've got money to pay for. But when you are a monk, so a monk is believed to be uh, self-sustained. So you actually just eat enough to survive, not eat because, you know, you want to eat. And also when you as a monk, you're not allowed to pick food. Every morning you will get up about four to get ready to go collecting food from the people who believe you are worthwhile for them to feed and keep you alive because you are the um, the holder of religious, which is you're supposed to learn, study, and it's like a, like a, like a preach, same thing, but in, in, in the way of like, you know, you're not allowed to go to a restaurant, you're not allowed to eat, eat anything after 12 o'clock. So, and the temple that I went when I was a monk, we're only allowed to eat once a day and also we're not allowed to have separate food in separate plates. So whatever you got offer, so everything have to go into one bowl and you have to eat it out from from the same spoon. And you're not to be you're not to be fussy, you're not to be picky. So as long as the food keeps you healthy, keep you alive, that's what the goal. How did you end up in Australia and entering a world of chefing when all of your sort of background was um, feared in other direction? Um, it was when I was 21 or 22. I can't remember. Back in the, the early 2000, when I start to uh, feel, fulfill my dream because I'm the big soccer, soccer fan, 
um, with, with the skill of the um, chefing and uh, cooking. So I decided I would like to go and explore Europe for a couple of years. So um, oh, not a couple of years. I actually was supposed to go there for 12 months, but then I ended up staying for two years. Um, you know, try to find a job as a cleaner, try to find a job as, you know, labor or whatever I can get in London. So it's nothing that suitable. And also the communication is get a bit hard back then. And uh, I find my way into the kitchen by accident. So because there is a the sign in front of the restaurant in London, in Soho, that's looking for a kitchen hand. And then I was just entered and going in. But then it turned out that I can cook better than a chef because and it's as a, for, for somehow it's not like arrogant way, but because of, I, I have many, many more year experience than um, some of their chefs because I've been cooking since I'm 14 because of the, I get forced to do so in my family business. But other than that, that's the Thai restaurant way of life because the best person you learn how to cook is your mom, not from cooking school. Cooking schools give you technique, but mom gives you the, the heart of cooking, the passion and the care and the love, that's that's what's different. Tell us about your early experiences in kitchens in um, in South Australia and the stepping stones towards your own restaurant. Um, the, the first experience, I'm actually very fortunate because when I first got to Australia, Australia and South Australia, I was here as a... Um, as a student, because I'll just try to find my way back into other job again. Um, and then at the, at the beginning, I'm still doing part-time job at night while I'm studying during the day as a, as a cook or as a kitchen hand, you know, try to take something that's not very high responsibility. So, um, but then I got made redundant by the zoo at this, at the time because of the, um, the, 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 the finance situation of the zoo back then, it just started to um, get fragile. And I decided that's it for environment. I think I believe that I can I can share my knowledge or I can contribute to to an environment somewhere, somewhere in the kitchen. So, and then I decided to start looking for a job as a full-time job. So, and uh and at the only they, at the time, I think looking for a job in the kitchen is not easy, but it's not hard back then. But I decided to apply with the with, with the kitchen of the um, Arana. Yeah, so uh, because that um, when first job when first Johnson Fellows uh, left McGill Estate to open his own, and then uh, he opened two restaurants at the same time, and I was lucky enough to enjoy that team of opening uh, the street ADLs and uh, Orana under Jobson Villa. And that's where my um, influence of native ingredients come from. That experience and that immersion into Australian native ingredients and uh, your knowledge and love of Thai cuisine, what was it like um, introducing those ingredients into what you do? Yeah, we have the, um, we have the similarity of the um, dry growl, Low rainfall in um in northeastern Thailand as well. 
So fighting native ingredient is incredible because in, 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 in Thailand, it's, it's not many people actually go to the market unless they live in the high sky tower. So um, if as a family, you, you're more likely to go to your farm, to the, um, to the um, community forest and look for, you know, local herb, native, native herb, native vegetation. And because of the, um, the, the, the understanding of economy, that's the one thing. And also the, the understanding of the importance of the native ingredient with the, um, with the quality that the native ingredient produce is, is, is important. And also it's, it's a sustainable the way how it is. But once the native ingredient become overpopulated, uh, all over popular over popular in terms of like using and consuming in the restaurant and the, and, and and the market is is also um is the way how to destroy the um the ecosystem but as as, as we can um relate to a lot of uh, vegetation extinct or the animals extinct from a ecosystem for over consume uh, sometimes I just think you know if you know something you can share but also at the same time you need to know how to look after it so like foraging is also one of the most popular and one of the idea, you know, we can actually harvest from the jungle, from the nature, but at the same time, your stomping ground is also can be, you know, a problem. So because you can stop things growing, but also there is the way you might have to learn how to not going back to the same spot all the time. We have to learn how to way how to live with them, you know, the system as well. Tell us about Soy 38 and, it, and its creation. Were there challenges introducing the food influenced by uh, your mum into um, South Australia? It's incredibly difficult at the beginning. When, um, when I say difficult, we're talking about eight years ago when I have decided to do this with um, my wife, Daisy. So um, I, used to, I, I work for other people um, for years and a bit, and I found the kitchen that I've been through. It's not the kitchen that I want to work, and also the the way how we produce food in the kitchen. That's not the food I want to eat. It's, it's difficult when you are working in your own cuisine that you love, but the result of the cuisine that you cook is not what you feeling like eating it. Do, do you know what I mean? So. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit fussy when it comes to the flavor of food as as a Thai food, because I eat very strong of sour, salty, and also spicy. It have to be very, very strong flavor. Therefore, a lot of uh, northeastern or Isan where I come from, the herb is very, very strong flavor. Some of the people don't like it because they they. they they smell unusual and on the some some of them smell bitter but what we're looking for in some of the food is the bitter the bitter taste doesn't end up with the sweet you know at the end of your palate so it's a it's a, it's a combination of the um uh flavor some in your in your mouth when you actually consume it it's, it's hard because when you introduce you know holy basil into the into the table the smell is incredibly strong but if you if you have been to Thailand, the first smell of the, you know, basil chicken, it will make you sneeze, it will make you cry, even on the roadside. 
if if you if you have experience of Thailand, you know, if you walk past the street food, that will that will be you, some part of your experience. When they when they chuck the crushed garlic, you know, blessed chili into the wok before they add the meat in, that's the most incredible smell. But also, it's the most painful part of the experience. However, say so the people are kind of like, oh, this is smell very fishy in the restaurant. This is smell very a lot of food, very smoky. But also, the first theme of my restaurant back in eight years ago. We call it soy, um, sucumbit soy 38. It's a longer word, but it's the name of the street plus the alleyway number. That's what the name of the, um, the restaurant. But, uh, but that's very mouthful, you know, it's, it's, it's a long name. And then we introduce all sorts of the exotic food that the people have never seen before in, uh, in, in, in Thai restaurant menu. So, and there's a lot of the pork dish that are introduced into, um, into the menu with, with the thought of like, if you buy pork belly, we might buy it with with bone. So then you've got pork ribs. And then you're going to cook pork ribs in the different way that you can actually change the flavor or, you know, introduce a new flavor to the customer. So the first two dishes that I introduced back then is the crispy pork belly with um, canard broccoli. So it's spicy, salty, a little bit of sweet, and, you know, you got to crunch a bit from the the crackling skin, but the way I make it is different as well. So I don't roast it; I've I've deep fried it. So I I um dehydrate it as the uh, as the um the local wisdom. They're very rural. So in in Thailand, when you make pork pork belly, like crispy pork belly, you 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 um soak the skin with vinegar and salt, poking it all this, all over the skin, dry it with the sun. And then maybe after a day or two, then it's crisp because you dehydrated the pork, and then you put it in the deep fryer, and it stays strong even a day or two. So it's never actually disappoint if you you know if you cook it that way. Then um, you know, and the, uh, the for the pork rib, um, twice cooked pork ribs, brace it for two three hours with lemongrass and kaffir lime, and then. Crunchy fry with the um, with the dust of the uh, cornstarch, and then toss it over the spice with the um, wild ginger, peppercorn, coffee lime, and a bit of oyster sauce and chili. That's become my two strong um, signature dish when I first open. What's what's the evolution been like for you over the last eight years? Do you feel like there's a better understanding? Um, of of your cooking and the cuisine, and you can push the boundaries a bit more now. Yeah, I'm so lucky. I'm lucky in the people trust and believe in me. So it's, it's very it's very challenging for the first two years. You know, like we don't know. We put all the money that we saved into the business that we don't know is going to last, and we have push, push, push as much as we can until until you know. It's have been recognized, it's have been noticed, and the people start talking over the city about, you know, if you want to try something different, try something that's not on the menu elsewhere, so it will be the place. But also it's a, it's a long journey because you, you have to twist the ingredients, you have to source the ingredients, you have to do all sort of things to, to make sure it's balanced it out. And also... Also, Thai food back in the day, 
Thai food back in the day is actually yeah um, Thai food back in the day is associated with cheap food but but the cost to produce a good Thai food is extremely high so because of the ingredient that you have to choose you have to you know source is actually not easy so if you're talking about you know pork lard to serve with the um, Vietnamese mint, pork lard to serve with, you know, sawtooth coriander. Sawtooth coriander is extremely expensive, four leaf for two dollars. So, and at one serve of uh, pork lard, you will need two leaves to make it worthwhile flavor. So, and uh, we have to make it make make it right for the flavor because we we serve the food that the people eat as much as we are eating it ourselves. So um, we introduced a new cost, the new price, which is challenging because they, uh, it will be the complaint of like, oh, the, the portion is too small, the price is too expensive. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a long, long journey. At the same time, we have to uh, train our staff. Even some of the staff that have been to Thailand, we have to train them like they have been to Thailand. So the information inside out, the geography, the related of culture and the dish, uh, the story behind the dish, we actually add it as a part of our story, which has become it become the um become more rec- recon- recognized by a lot of people. They 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 feel more appreciated to know where the food come from, what the food related, and also you know what they're eating, what in the what in their mouth, what they put in their body, so. Some people now start to think life of the animal before we become their food. You know, they think they hope that the animal enjoy their life and it's not been tortured or not been suffered before they actually we put on their plates. Pork is uh, such an uh, important part of Thai cuisine, but there's six different regions and the food is so different across those regions. Do you, your, your expertise is incredible across those six regions. Can you give us some examples of how different and versatile pork is within the different regions? Yeah, pork, pork is a funny way. So because of the, fun, the funny, the funny produce, because they are more valuable than some of the people value them. So sometimes people think pork is cheap. Pork, pork is not. Uh, pork is dirty. In Thailand, that's because of, you know they believe the religious basis depend. But um, if we if we split pork into region, so north and northeast have consumed a lot of gut and also head. So we use a uh, we have we, we eat pig ears that sound like we have dog, but we eat pig ear. We make they, we make five spice pig ear salad. Pig head is very is extremely expensive in Thailand. Pig brand that's the other thing that we steam it with the banana leaf wrap, basil curry paste. It's beautiful, and uh, in in Chiang Mai in the northern Thailand they they cook they cook um uh pig brain. With with egg, and also fermented uh, pig skin, so they cook it together, wrap in banana leaf. They're extremely aromatic and also tasty, and that's their specialty of their northern Thailand. So they are excellent. That's what the food the people in Thailand go to Chiang Mai for. 
And then northeast is a lot more lob. We use every part of the animals. It doesn't matter how fatty it is. We mince them together by hand, and then we make a lob. The fat bit, we usually make a soup out of it. And also, in the, in the northeastern Thailand, we eat a lot more papaya salad, spicy papaya salad, and we use the, the skin, the rye, dehydrated, and then we make a crackling out of it, eat it with pork, uh, eat it with papaya salad. That's what our specialty. Central Thailand is a bit more slow cook, a bit more sweet because it's Chinese influence. You um in the market you will see more pork bellies, dice, uh, breast in five spice with palm sugar and star anise, and I serve it with the um pickled green mustard and also um vinegar chili dressing. So that's what will be in the central. In the south, they would use a bit more like a hog. So they debone it, they dice it with the skin on, and then you get the uh, the crunchy, the chewy, the texture. They stir fry it with the yellow curry paste. Extremely spicy. Use very little of sugar, and as well as the stir fry pork mince with the um ging, which is a lemongrass based kaffir lamb. And it's very dry, nearly no liquid, but it's actually like they cook until all the liquid absorbed into the pork meat and they, and they serve it on the top of rice. That's incredible. That's how they do. You mentioned uh, Jason from um, Boston Bay with his pigs. How important are those relationships for you with the pig farmers? Yeah, it's great. You know, like to, you pick your like, – we first become customer, buyer, and seller. But then after a year or two, because we support each other, so um, he support me when they run out, you know, some difficult time, you know, the payment and stuff, we, we support each other until we actually both, you know, arrive on, this, on the safe side. So we become friends every now and then. He drop by if I want to go to Port Lincoln. That's where his farm is. He show me around, you know, he finding other things for me. When when need relationship is great and also it's needed because if you don't know about each other you can't be honest to each other what you're selling what you're buying and also Jason is a great great man because he I can work with him with all sort of thing can I try this can I work uh, can you cut cut the uh, hawk like this can you get me also buco can you get me the head can you get me the skin uh, if I have the events can you get me the the whole the whole pig so I'll, we have a good strong relationship and we do event together so every now and then so which make it very very good relationship to have you've created this amazing restaurant uh in south australia and become a real part of the fabric of the food scene there what, what do you love about what you do I, what i love about what i do is a lot I love I love the new creation. I love I love the smile on people's face. I love the compliment that my front of house receive when they serve the good food. Um, I I I believe, you know, it doesn't matter how famous you are. I believe that you can't be the only hero in the game. So with, without my staff, I, I won't be able to represent or present the thing in my head outright 
So is everyone have their own contribution to uh, to my business? And uh, w- w- that's what I love. But also, I'm a very hard man to work for because I'm very, very particular. So um, there's a lot of my chefs as far as hard to make it right. But once they've done it right, it takes time, it needs time. And the ones that have done it right, they, they, they quite enjoy working around it because other, other than you, you try to gain what you want to gain, you try to keep the same people around for your consistency. Also, you, you want to, to share the, the successful of, of, the, of chef life. So it's a lot of people just do cooking because that's, that's what they do. But if you don't have passion and you don't love what you do, it's, it's, it's far from success. Well, well, that passion that you have is, is shown in the extraordinary contribution that you've made so far to the dining scene there in South Australia. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on The Crackling today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch, Terry, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much, Hart. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstars. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.